يا حسين 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 يا حسين 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 يا حسين 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 يا حسين 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 أنت إمامي إليك انتمائي منك قريب في كربلاء في كربلاء أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الذي لا يبلغ مدحته القائلون ولا يحصي نعماءه العادون ولا يؤدي حقه المجتهدون الذي لا يدركه بعد الحمم ولا يناله غوص الفطن ثم الصلاه والسلام على اشرف الانبياء والمرسلين حبيب قلوبنا وطبيب نفوسنا وشفيع ذنوبنا سيدنا ومولانا ابي القاسم محمد محمد وعلى بيته الطيبين الطاهرين المعصومين المظلومين لا سيما بقيه الله في الارضين صاحب العصر والزمان خليفه الرحمن امام الانس والجان ولعن الله وعداه مجمعين الى يوم الدين اما بعد فقد قال الله وقوله الحق بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ظهر الفساد في البر والبحر بما كسبت ايدي الناس ليذيقها بعض الذي عملوا لعلهم يرجعون صدق الله العلي العظيم الله صل على The Islamic perspective on minimalism has been our topic tonight is lecture number 3. Last night we got our feet a little bit wet with the topic in trying to introduce and explain what we will try to accomplish in this ashra together. I mentioned that minimalism is that conscious decision to live a life where we now introduce clarity in our life, purpose in our life, a goal in our life. No longer do we chase the possessions, but rather we understand that those things that should be valuable to me, I live my life according to those values. On the flip side also besides possessions we talked about the idea of conscious consumption or what's called sustainable consumption in this day and age where we have to understand that not only what we possess but how we consume in this world also goes in line with this concept of minimalism it's a life where we understand that our goal and our maqsad and our hadaf and our purpose is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and everything that we live for in this world should be a route or a journey or a pathway towards that destination and i mentioned last night that when we fall into this chaos of the passion to possess as we call it 
that happens when we replace the destination with the journey. In today's discussion, we want to further along this discussion and talk a little bit about the concept of worldview. Now, before I do that, a few points left behind from last night's discussion that I want to make sure that I clarify before we move forward. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad, please. The first point is that a number of you, a few of you last night approached me and talked about the fact that you know you has you have also been doing your your reading on this idea of you know conscious consumption and minimalism and there are plenty of blogs and TED talks and podcasts out there on this topic and it, it is a phenomenon at least in the west and one individual mentioned to me that why doesn't Islam talk about this and the reality is that this is the way Islam has presented our life 14 centuries ago it's precisely what the Prophet had preached the sad part is that it is the un-Islamic or the non-Islamic world that has gained and gathered it and promoted it and the Islamic world now there's not a reflection of it at all but the reality is that being you know, consuming in this world consciously, living a life of sadiqi and simplicity is one of the main messages of Islam 1400 years ago. You look at up and down the Quran, inshallah we'll present those verses in a few nights about those who do israf. Israf is a huge topic that has been talked to all of you many, many times. Allah is very harsh when He refers to the musrafeen, those who do israf, calls them the ashab nar he says, La Allah does not love the one who does israf. Now israf, sometimes we people like me believe israf is only reduced to food and water and lights, etc, etc. And while that's one concept of it, it's not everything. But hatta even to the point where you look at the way the Prophet of Allah would prep his soldiers in going to war. He would remind them that even when you are to penetrate enemy territory, be careful of their natural resources. Don't cut down their trees. Don't destroy their vegetation. You're there for a certain purpose. Fulfill that purpose and come back. We're not destroying the lifestyle of these individuals. That type of principles that was unheard of back then still exists today, but the application unfortunately is in the hands of somebody else. So this is not a new phenomenon. It's the base of our deen, but we now need to reintroduce that, especially to our younger generation, in this green world that we live in. Now, one thing that I don't think I got across yesterday to all of you was, fine, Sayyid, you talk about this life of minimalism, but practically speaking, how do I live this life? We know that I wasn't talking about the idea for us to live in broken down homes. I wasn't suggesting that you drive you know, 20 year old cars or wear, rich, or, or wear ripped up clothing. No, that's not what minimalism is. But when it comes to consumption, at least we can begin practically to live our life. You know, last year in my ashra in Toronto, I talked about you know, this concept. It's not my concept, it's a concept that's gone very viral, where sometimes there are you know, situations and issues that are very global across the world right now 
that is concerning us, and one, of course, is climate change. Right? Global warming. It's a whole discussion out there. Right? We see, you know, for example, the north and the ice is melting up north. We see snow in Dubai, for example. We see, we, we see hailstorms in Mecca. We, we see the shores rising towards, you know, towards land. All these things are very concerning for us. It's obvious that what? That there is this concern about global warming. And the verse that is the base of my discussion, Allah says, ظَهَرَ الْفَصَادُ فِي الْبَرِّ وَالْبَحْرِ In the land, in the sea, there's corruption. بِمَا كَسَبَتْ nas At the hands of the human being. He's corrupted this land now. And while there are many of you who should be, and you are concerned about this global phenomenon, the reality is that we can't change things globally, but we can act locally. Right? So last year I had this little slogan that went around that said what? You know, think globally, act locally. Right? We're concerned about things on a global level, but at our local level, we're not making those small little changes. And we can, for example, I'll give you small, very small, simple examples. Before that, please, as you move up towards me, one loud salawat ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad, please. Small practical steps. I asked my, you know, these young, beautiful children in front of me to help me practically apply this when it comes to your parents' inside of your home. You know, for example, that there'll be nayaz tonight in the center. Maybe that's why you're all here. I have no idea. It's not me, that's for sure. And you know that for sure, and you know that you've told your wife, look, we're not leaving before nayaz. As a family, four of you, five of you, two of you, eight of you, inshallah, all of you now will come eat niyaz. If you know you're going to eat dinner at the center, bring your own plates. Bring your own utensils. Have a bag. Now you and your family sit around and you use your plates now to fill your food. You take those plates home, you wash them, you dry them, bring them back the very next day. You know that there's going to be chai inside this majlis, right? It's wajib. After a majlis to have chai. You know that you're going to drink chai. You know that every night you go to the sabil and you have a beverage. Bring your own mug. Go home, wash the mug dry, bring your own mug back. Now you sit there and tell me, look, Said, we use real plates here at the, at the Jamaat. That's excellent. But still, what you're doing is that you are consciously consuming. That at least if I bring my own plate, that's one less plate used. That's one less ounce of water used to wash that plate. That's one less person used to wash my plate. I can do that on my own. In the month of Ramadan, we know iftar every single night is here. Like I said, bring your own plates and your, and your own utensils. Now you might think, you know, what's this guy saying? No, come on, this is ridiculous. Bring our plates and bring our forks and bring our spoons and bring our mugs. Yes, we'll bring our sofas, we'll bring... No, but at least, you know, this idea of being, practically speaking, the idea of minimalism. As little as you can ask for from this universe, you should. As little as you can consume, you should. If you're able to do it on your own, do it on your own. These are small practical steps I'm talking about. Besides the obvious, that when we go to weddings and we're in line for the food, Wallahi, I've seen people, they're in line for food at a wedding. First of all, we know that when there's a wedding in the evening, we skip breakfast, we skip lunch, mashallah. We know that, you know, look, don't fill yourself up. We tell the kids, don't eat a lot, 
There's dinner at the wedding tonight. And we go and we grab our plates and there's a mountain of food on our plates. A mountain of food. We won't even eat half that mountain. But just in case I want some more, it's already on my plate. If I go back to the line, that food may not be there. So let me do my ahtiyat already, ensure that everything is there. If I ever need some more food, it's right there on my plate. We never stop to think the person beside me maybe wants this. And iftar, we know all these stories, alhamdulillah, all of you, inshallah, are fully aware of what the problems are inside of our communities across the board, not just here. But these are small things that I, I, I ask all of you to please apply in your life. This is where we need to start to head. We need to be sustainable consumers. We need to understand that we're, this is not just our universe. Inshallah, in a couple of days, we'll talk about individualism. That sometimes we think because I have access to that resource, I can use that resource how I wish. So I'll go to the washroom downstairs, I'll do wudu. The guy after me, Bachata, he comes in and there's two inches of water on the floor. Why? Because there's flowing water when I open the tap. I have every right to use that water. Or I'm not even in that room. I'm leaving for the night majlis, but every single light in my house is on. These are small things that all of you know. I'm just reminding all of you and myself, first of all. But this is what, practically speaking, we can begin this sustainable consumption idea together, inshallah. Now, part of the reason, or part of the, um, um, the reason why we go down this idea of possessions and overconsumption is a discussion on worldview. What's called Jahan Bini in Farsi. I'm dealing with a very intelligent crowd. I know many ulama come in and out of the center. You have your own, mashallah, ulama here, mawjood. And no doubt you've done your own respective research on theology. In theology, in any theology, be it Islamic theology, the Christian, the Jews, any major religion out there presents its own theology, its own aqaid. Okay? In the opening discussion of any theological book, they'll talk about worldview. Every religion presents its own worldview. Every single individual in this building now has their own personal individual worldview, whether we know it or not. Now, what does worldview mean? Exactly what the name suggests. It's how we view this world. And how we view this world dictates how we live in this world what we're passionate about, what we strive for, what our goals are, what our purpose is, what we reject, what we move away from. All these things are determined by how we view this world. For example, if you're somebody in this room who looks at this world, this dunya that we live in, as the ending and the middle and the end, as the beginning and the middle and the end, then you'll live your life accordingly. If you see this world as a temporary abode, as a transitional phase, as a bridge from one area to another, you'll live your life accordingly. Part of the reason why we drown ourselves in this world of consumerism and materialism, and we're feeding this, 
this passion to possess inside of us is because we don't have the correct worldview or we need to go back and revisit our worldview. Because the reality is that up and down the Quran, Allah reminds us time and time again the reality of this world. Either through His words or through an invitation for us to examine those who live their life on the wrong worldview. For example, the Quran says, وَمَا هَذِهِ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنِيَا إِلَّا اللَّحْوَنْ وَاللَّعَبِ وَإِنَّ الدَّارَ الْآخِرَةَ لَحِيَا الْحَيَوَانِ لَوْ كَانُوا يَعْلَمُونَ this world, this dunya, is nothing. It's nothing except for lahwin wa lahab. Right? Lahwi or lahab literally means this idea of play, useless talk, frivolous talk, nothing that really has deep meaning. It's all surface level. It's a sport, it's a play, the Quran says. If you're looking for hayawan, hayawan is not hayawan. Hayawan meaning a pure life in the darul akhirata. It's in the hereafter, in the world beyond this world. Right? Or again, Surah Rahman, Kulluman alayha fan, wa yabqa waju rabbika, vuljal wal ikram, ahsant. Everything in this world will perish. Everything is fana. What is baqa, what will be baqi, what will be eternal, is the wajj or the essence of Allah. So again, Allah is inviting us, if we wish now to take our a'mal and our existence and make it baqa and eternal, like every single one of us wants to do, then we have to attach ourselves, make ourselves muttasil with the wajj and the essence of Allah. Allah is a metaphysical entity. He's not a physical entity found in this world. When we have a proper worldview, everything falls into place. When we don't have a proper worldview, everything becomes chaos. And the Quran warns us. Travel the earth, the Quran says. Walk the land. Fanvuru, look around, examine, ponder, look around you. Where have those who have denied Allah ended up? Where's where's the Fir'aun of yesterday? And the Saddams of yesterday? And the Yazids of yesterday? Where are those people that even live a, a life where they believe that everything, the end all and be all is this world? And it brings me to one point that I want to make to all of you. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. A little bit of a philosophical discussion, inshallah you'll stay with me. I don't have much time. Let's go very, very fast. Innately inside of the fitrat of the insan, innately now, inside of our nature, there are certain things that exist. One of them is our detest for limits. We as human beings don't like limits. We don't like to be limited, be it in everyday mundane things like, I don't know, the amount of gigs or data on our phone, or how much internet data we have at home, or going to a restaurant that says all you can eat. Can you imagine now, mashallah? All you can eat. Go up there and go as many times as you want, doesn't matter, there's no limits to how much you can eat. 
or something as higher as our desires, laws. Imagine now for 24 hours you can do whatever you want to do. You can drive for as fast as you want to drive. You can eat whatever you want to eat. You can wear whatever you want to wear. You can go wherever you want to go. You can love whoever you want to love. There's no paraban, there's no limits, there's no had. There's no beginning, there's no end. Can you imagine now for a moment that sounds very attractive to us? We don't like limits as human beings. And so we search for that freedom that really doesn't exist. But in the process, what we don't understand is the idea that because we hate limits, we crave the unlimited. One more time. Because we hate limits and move away from limits and detest limits, by itself, we are actually moving towards and seeking the unlimited, the la mahdud, that has no had. That's what we like. We like the unlimited. Even the word unlimited, we like when we see in certain ads. It draws our attention. Now when you look at the philosophical level and at the theological level, we're searching for those things that are unlimited. If we incorrectly identify the unlimited as my destination, then once we get there, like I said yesterday, there's chaos. I'll give you an example. Today's athlete. And I think football is big here in, in, in Tanzania, where I'm from in the West. These North American sports. Basketball is huge. Baseball is huge. American football is huge. Soccer is also big there. Or oh, sorry, football is also big there. How dare he? Sorry. And you think about these individuals, there's one individual in the NBA who's being paid almost $40 million. Getting paid almost $40 million a year to shoot a basketball. Okay. An individual in the in the major league baseball league that we have in the West, signed a contract in the summer, a 10-year contract worth $300 million. $30 million a year to hit a baseball. Now, if you know anything about baseball, you know that a good average for a, a, for a, a player is about 300, meaning what? You hit 30% of the balls that are pitched to you. 30% of the balls that are pitched to you, if you're a good player, you hit. If you get that average, you know, it's a good chance you'll be paid millions for hitting 30, meaning 70% of the time, you either are out or strike out or you miss completely. Now imagine this individual, okay? His entire life now, he's aiming to get to that contract, aiming to become a professional sports athlete. That's his worldview. He gets to that level where now he's paid $40 million to shoot a basketball. He gets there at that level and still there's a big gaping hole inside of him. I don't know how many of my youth today follow uh, you know, retired players of, 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 of professional sports. It's a very interesting documentary. You think about uh, the lifespan of an athlete, it's no more than 20 years at max. By 40, the athlete is no good. 
Okay? Their prime is their 20s and their, maybe their 30s, but 20s for sure. Meaning what 15 years perhaps is what you have now to make your money. In those 15 years, you're at the prime. By late 30s, 40s now, not so much. So imagine at 40 now, you're retired with this loads of money and fame and fortune and every possession this world has to offer. If you follow their lives, there's drug overdose, overdose, there's womenizing, there's gambling, there's suicide. There was, a, there was a report a few years back. Orange County in California is one of the most richest counties in America. Orange County. The richest counties in America, it has the highest suicide rate in the country. Baba, your worldview is that this dunya is the end all and be all. This religion and this idea of the akhirat and investing in your grave, investing in barzakh and jannat, forget all that. This is my heaven, this is my everything. I've poured everything into it. I've gotten to the income bracket now. I'm making loads of money, loads of money. And I get to the point now where I'm at that income bracket now. I have shu'rat, I have fame, I can't leave my house without being swarmed. Everyone's calling me, everyone wants a piece of me. And yet somehow inside I'm so empty that life is no longer worth living. They say a beggar sleeps better at night than a millionaire does. <laughs> Because a beggar has umid for tomorrow and the millionaire is hoping I don't lose my millions tomorrow. It's all worldview. It's all how you view this world. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. All over the media, all over Hollywood, all over sports, the, the, the sporting world, everything. When you incorrectly label your worldview and you get to that destination incorrectly now, you're expecting some sort of fulfillment and you don't get it. They actually end up going bankrupt five to ten years after their retirement. Look at these Hollywood actors. Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade and Robin Williams and so on and so on and so forth. These are people who are living the life, epic lives they're living. Getting paid $20 million a movie, a movie. Found hung by their own belts in their closet inside their room. When you incorrectly label the world of you, that type of chaos ensues. Look at what happened to these people. They denied Allah, they replaced Allah with fame and fortune. When you correctly label your world view, to know this world is nothing but a transitional phase, a bridge. Imam Rada alayhi salatu wasalam, Allahumma salli ala. No, there's a lot of you in this hall. I need a better salawat than that, please, inshallah. Thank you. Muhammad. He says that this world, this dunya is a bridge. And you don't build homes on bridges. Allahu What a beautiful statement that is. If you saw a bridge that was meant to transport you from point A to point B, and you saw some, some, some individual now building his home on that bridge, you'll say, Baba, don't do that, man. The bridge is not meant for, to hold the weight of this house. 
You cannot build a home on a bridge. Use the bridge for what it was meant to be used for. Don't expect the bridge to be able to host the weight of your house. Why would you do that? That house will crumble in two seconds. You'll spend your entire life building your dream house. It's on a shaky ground. It'll collapse. That's why Amir Mu'manin Ali alayhi salatu wassalam Allahumma salli ala Muhammad He talks about the dunya Many, many traditions from the Ahlubit about the dunya and Inshallah in a couple of nights we'll talk about the dunya Just this one tradition that is very powerful he talks about a boat and a boat on water. He says, so long as the boat is on the water, the boat will sail without any problems. The moment that the water gets inside the boat, the boat will sink. He says, so long as we live in the dunya, we're fine. The moment the dunya lives inside of us, he says, we will sink. Again, you're probably going to ask me, does that mean, how do I live in this dunya? And inshallah, I'm not one to give commercials, but in a couple of nights, inshallah, we'll address that issue of how to live in this world. Attachment versus achievement in a couple of nights, inshallah. But before that, your worldview has to be properly identified. Remind yourself that you were not created for this temporary world. Remind yourself. Please, the Prophet of Allah says that you were created for an eternity. Allah did not create the entire universe and put so much effort in creating you as a human being. Then summon the creation to bow down to the human being and do all of that and make you the Khalifa of this earth all for 65 years, 72 years, 81 years, 25 years. How much, how long can we live in this world? And then that's it, we wrap up shop and close up shop and that's it. Because our search for the unlimited has to be void of limits. And this world, its very nature of this world is that it is, it is a Mahdi dunya. It's a world of matter. And matter by its very composition has a beginning and has an end. Meaning what? It has limits. Because it has limits, it's not the unlimited. And so our search continues. Trying to find the unlimited in this world will lead to chaos. We gave examples. That means what? That my search for the unlimited has to go beyond this world, this world that I live in. Has to travel beyond this physical world. Has to break free of the limits of the matter. Which means what? The unlimited has to be metaphysical in nature. It can't be this dunya. So many mistakes happen for people like me, where I search for in this world what this world can't give me. I'm searching for the unlimited and there's limits everywhere in this world. Change our focus, change our world of view. Understand this world is but a dot in the overall scheme of things. Hadith says that when we wake up in Barzakh and when, when we are asked in that world, how long did you live in this world? One Hadith says the blink of an eye. One says one night of sleep. 
For one night of sleep now we sell our soul out. Chasing the dunya, chasing possessions, because we think that's what is required today. The more I have, the more I own, the more I am. And this I has been replaced with possessions. It's a corrupt worldview. And part of the problem is today's media, part of the problem is today's Hollywood and mainstream music that's attacking our kids from the left and from the right. Everything is available online. This Netflix era that we live in is a very dangerous one. I ask you, please be very careful. doesn't matter if you're 15 or 50. It affects everybody. Those days are gone of wholesome television shows. You can sit there with your father and your mother. And you can watch a half an hour episode. I grew up in Toronto. I used to sit there and watch good family television with my father and my mother. We would laugh. We would do everything. Now I can't watch commercials with my kids. Those things that they used to show at Friday night at 2 o'clock in the morning, now they show at Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Those things that you needed a credit card to be able to watch, now it's a click of a mouse and a click of a button and a swipe of a finger. Be careful, the example I'll give you is a very simple one. I want you to imagine you're driving your car, okay? You're driving your car. All of you with me, inshallah, yes? Shasallu ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad, please. Last point then, Masaid, inshallah. You're driving your car and each one of the windows in your car have a tiny hole in them. Okay? A tiny hole. Your front windshield, the passenger side window, the driver's side window, the back windows, all of them have little tiny holes in them, tiny holes. And you drive through a construction site. Okay? And there's smoke and there's dirt and everything is in the air. You drive right through it. What will happen? The little, little, little holes now will attract the dirt and inside the car will become polluted. We equally have holes on our body. Our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hearts are small little holes that lead to what? Our soul, command central the headquarters, the CEO. And depending on what we allow to enter our eyes or our ears or our heart or our mouth will affect our command central. There are kids today, 10-year-olds, I tell you, they watch things on Netflix. And I look at them and I'm saying, how can you watch that? That's disgusting television. There are things that, you know, our teenagers have access to right now and they're given, you know, free reign. Their devices, everything, and there's no policing whatsoever. Maybe there is, I don't know. But they think for a moment that, look, I know enough, say yet, between good and bad. I can take the good and leave the evil. And we think for a moment that it won't affect me. Sometimes you can tell by the way a kid walks and his language. And the way he sits and the way he stands, what he's watching on television. And the messages 
that are you know, either direct or indirect, that is shown almost in every single television show, where now it's become norm, a certain lifestyle is presented, a certain message is presented, lyrics of hip-hop and R&B songs that talk about the idea that you only live once, right? Live for the moment. Today is your day. You do you. Don't worry about anything else. It's all about you. Live for the moment. Then the idea of an investment, the idea of you know, another world, the idea of you now putting forth a sacrifice for tomorrow, forget all that. This is your time, bro. Do what you want to do. Don't worry about anybody else. You want to go and get high on Friday? Bismillah, no worries. This is your time. You want to go and, 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 and God forbid drink alcohol and go into this party and that club and this casino and that woman and that guy. Go ahead, this is your time. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. These are all messages that are what indirectly infiltrate our small little holes inside of us. And then we wonder why, or I wonder why I'm not elevating towards God. Wallahi said, I want to elevate towards God, but I can't. I set three alarms and Fajr goes, I can barely get my dhuhr asr during my work day. I can't bring myself to do this or bring myself to do that. Examine those five or six holes inside of your car. What are you allowing to go in? Don't think for a moment that you're immune to the effect. Like I said, you could be a grown adult. When you start hearing certain words that are used as filler words, it becomes you know, part of your vocabulary. You hear it so many times, you become immune to it. You begin speaking like that. And it begins to corrupt your worldview. It begins to change that GPS destination. And like I said last night, the journey becomes a destination and vice versa, and chaos ensues. We have drug problems inside of our community. Because when, when, when the moment that that anxiety hits, when the moment that that, that, that that numbing device now wears off and you're faced with reality, that's a heavy burden for a 15-year-old to handle. It's heavy. I don't think my parents today understand how heavy it is for a 15-year-old to somehow keep up with the norm and somehow hold on to their spirituality. Eventually something has to give. You can't have it both ways. It's not a buffet table, right? That I'll grab this, I'll grab that, I'll leave everything else. No, it doesn't work like that. I'm sorry. Eventually, and that load, that heaviness for a 15 and 18 year old sometimes is too much. So instead of handling and tackling the issue, we go towards drugs, we go towards alcohol, we go towards every possible numbing device there is out there. And sometimes we go to social media, guys. Sometimes as miserable and as depressed as I am in my actual life, I actually present an epic life of mine on my social media platforms. Just so people know, yeah, this guy's got it together, man. He's traveling the world. He's got all the luxuries. Meanwhile, you, know, you ask him, he's dying on the inside. Because we haven't quite understood the idea of a worldview and what my ultimate destination is and what I should be doing in this temporary abode of a dunya. Don't let anyone ever tell you this idea that this is your permanent existence. It's not. We are a guest here. When you are a guest somewhere, you're very conscious of what you do. 
and what you say. Understand that you were made for a permanent and eternal existence that's waiting for you in the hereafter. Don't sell that out for this one. Sallu ala Muhammad wa Muhammad. I ask myself and ask all of you, please, revisit your worldview. How do you view this world? What is the dunya to you? Yes, there's a balance to, be, to, you know, to strike, inshallah, we'll strike that balance and we'll talk about this in further in the coming nights. But at least let's get the ball rolling. You can take, wait, we can, I can take practical steps now to ensure that that world view that really is the governing factor of everything that I do in this world. Everything, how I live, who I spend time with, what I'm passionate about, what I sacrifice, is all governed by my worldview. If that is corrupt, everything, khud khud also corrupts itself as well. And that's why when you look at the concept of Imam Hussein's mission, he understood his mission, his worldview. He never let it, uh, lots of people tried to sway him to tell him, Mawla, don't go to Kufa. Leave Yazid alone. Let him become the Khalifa. Doesn't affect you. You stay in Medina, you have your Ashab, you have your followers, you have your Durus. And he would say, Uffin lihad al kalam. I reject these words of yours. That you want me to sit here in Medina while someone like that claims to be the Khalifa of Islam? You want me to become the silent majority and not speak up and not rise up and not make it clear that I don't accept this Khilafat? And tonight I'd like to remember the ambassador of Imam Hussein. Gharibe Kufa. The story of Hazrat Muslim ibn Aqil is a devastating one. Really requires an entire majlis to be recited. What happened to him in Kufa, the reaction of the Kufis is a huge lesson for us today in 2019. They went from bay'at of 20,000 people in the hands of Muslim to him being gharib and alone, searching for water in the streets of Kufa. There was no war. There were no weapons drawn. There was no bloodshed. There was simply a threat of poverty, of hunger, of fear. If you side with Hussein ibn Ali, you can expect this life that was alone for the people who gave bay'at, with the exception of a few obviously, to leave Jinnab Muslim alone. Such that as many of you know, when he was done leading Salat in the masjid and came out, he came out of that masjid by himself. There were hundreds behind him in the beginning of that Salat. When he realizes that by, that by, by now he's already written a letter to Imam Hussein that Mola, thousands have come for bay'at. They're ready for you. Make your way towards Kufa. But this was when? This was when they were lining up outside the house of Mukhtar or Hani or somebody else giving bay'at to Muslim. 
This was before Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad was dispatched to Kufa. And a clear message, if you were not able to support and defend the ambassador of Imam Hussein, how could you have defended Imam Hussein himself? To the point where Imam Hussein would bring some of the letters to the Maidan of Karbala and hold it up and say, some of you in that 30,000 men army, you wrote me letters telling me, Mola, we're yatim, we're orphans. We don't accept the Khilafat of this individual. Now you're on that side hungry for my blood. Jinnab Muslim now understands that he's been left alone. And he knows there's been a bounty on his head. He begins now to wander the streets of Kufa, imagine. Searching for a drop of water. The books tell us that he ends up resting outside of the home of a woman. Not knowing, of course, who's inside. The woman opens the door and sees Muslims sitting there. She says, what are you doing here? You're a random man at my home. He says, I just need a glass of water. Just give me a drop of water, please. She comes and she brings him some water. She says, where have you come from? I've come from Medina. She heard Medina, she said, that's the city of my Mawla. Who are you? He says, my name is Muslim Ibn Aqil. He says, where are you from? I'm from the Bani Hashim tribe. She said, who do you know in the Bani Hashim tribe? He says, do you know Abu Talib? Yes, of course I know Abu Talib. I'm part of his family. Do you know Amir al-Mu'maneen? Yes, I'm the nephew of Amir al-Mu'maneen. She says, please come in. She gave him some time. She gave him a room. She understood that there's a bounty on his head. Eventually, the men of that house find out that Muslim is inside that house and summon the people of Ibn Ziyad to park outside the house. Muslim comes out. Now, can you imagine? There are hundreds of people. Ibn Ziyad dispatched hundreds of people to that one small house for one Muslim Ibn Aqil. When he was asked, why would you need hundreds for this one man? He says, don't underestimate the blood of Ali runs through these veins. He comes out, he has to defend himself. Some have arrows, some have spears, some have rocks, some are on top of roofs, and they begin now to attack Muslim ibn Aqil from the left, from the right, from the top. They begin to throw arrows at him, begin to throw rocks at him. He does his best to defend himself, but eventually he's captured and brought to Ibn Ziyad's palace. Ibn Ziyad, as you all know, takes him up to the roof of the palace. Do you have any last wishes before I dispatch of you? He says, I have some debts, I have this, I have that. The one last thing I want you to do, if you can, write a letter to my Mullah Hussein to not come to Kufa, please, Mullah. 
And just before he was about to throw the body over the palace, he turns to Medina and says, Assalamu alaikum, Ya Aba Abdullah. Muslim now is thrown over the, 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 the roof of the palace. At that moment now, Hussein has left Medina already. Halfway through their journey, he stops. Says, Alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bibi Zainab says, Bhaiya, who are you saying your jawab to? He says, Muslim ibn Yaqeel has become shaheed. I'm giving my jawab to his salam. At that moment now, Hussein says, Zainab, send me the daughter of Muslim. He picks up Muslim's daughter, kisses her, hugs her, says, from now on, I'm your father. You won't be alone. I'm your sarparas. I'm your leader. He hugs her. He kisses her. He makes sure that she does not feel the loneliness of a father. I would say, Mola, you're so consumed about this small daughter of Muslims that what? That you hugged her and you kissed her. But I pray to you that Sakina is nowhere near Atika at that moment. She'll be watching you, expecting that when I am Yatim, Anasri Ashur, that somebody will come and hug me and kiss me and put my hand, put their hand over my head and tell me that I am your father now. But Sakina, where someone should have hugged you, they slapped your face. When someone should have kissed you, they ripped out your ears. When someone should have gave you support, they burnt your kurta. That same Sakina with that same burnt kurta was buried in the zindan of Shah. <laughs>